Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Miriam Knight, the publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital multimedia magazine and website where we review the top books and films contributing to every area of conscious awakening. Our website is ncreview.com. On this show, we explore many different expressions of awakening and celebrate consciousness in action. And our guest today is the multi-talented Sharon Rose, a true Renaissance woman, a filmmaker, choreographer, composer, author, teacher, and performer. Sharon is both the producer and co-star of a new visionary feature film, The Last Avatar from Sacred Mysteries. She has over 13 films to her credit. She has a master's degree in education and spent the past 35 years working in the fields of education and the esoteric arts to investigate, integrate, and impart the knowledge and wisdom of ancient and traditional cultures throughout the world. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a pleasure to be here with you, Miriam. You know, of course, we will talk about your film, but you truly have the most remarkable background. You've traveled the world studying sacred dance, music, and ritual, and, and really steeping yourself in these ancient civilizations. What led you down that path? Uh, from very early on, well, what we could say is began with my mother. <laughs> my mother came out of a traditional Jewish family, but she went to college at 14 years old, and she was very steeped in the arts herself. So I was her first child, and immediately when I began to walk, which was at nine months old, she started teaching me to dance, <laughs> and then really encouraged me in my pursuit of the arts in theater, in music, in dance, and that was the beginning of a lifetime pursuit, which really, I would say, has more to do with understanding symbolism, mythology, ritual, in cultures throughout the world. Hmm. So, so then I went, I went to college in, in 1966, and the whole feminist movement and even yoga I began learning at that point and the Eastern arts, they all, it was all, everything was opening up for a female, for a woman. And I went on through college, I was very, very interested in what it means, what it truly means to be a woman beyond the conditioning and uh, so once I got to India, which was the really turning point in my life, um, then everything totally shifted. I was very fortunate. Uh, at that point, when I first went, I was on a fellowship from the American Institute of Indian Studies and the Smithsonian to live with uh, Sitara Devi, who she just passed away recently uh, at 94 years old. But she was by... Re re Rabindranath Tagore, the great uh, Nobel laureate poet of India, she at 13 she was given the title the Queen of North Indian Classical Dance, which is a tradition that blends both the Hindu tantric embodiment of deity storytelling form and the Sufi uh, relationship with lover and beloved forms 
into an amazing system of transmitting novel, ancient knowledge through the art of dance, music, and theater. And when I got there, she looked at me, oh, the way you'll be interested in this, the way I first met her was through a dream. So I was, uh, it was about a few months before I was leaving, and I had a lucid dream in which I left my body, I was flying around in the stars, and in my mind I recognized who I was, and I said, I want to meet Sitara. And I went through this tunnel of light and ended up in her bedroom. And she looked up with me at me with this, it's the characteristic look that's part of the dance. And I was kind of shocked and then flew back into my body. And when I got to her house, it was the same bedroom. It was pretty amazing. And, and she looked at me. At that point, I'd been in modern dance and theater. And I was very thin with short hair. And she said, this is not going to do. If you are going to be able to dance this form, which means embodying all the female deities in the Hindu tradition, we have to change everything. So she gave away all my clothes, my Western clothes, and I dressed only in saris. And over the time I was with her, really came to understand the feminine spirit, the feminine essence, in a way that there, I have never experienced it before. You, you called it uh, feminine yogic arts. What exactly does that mean? Mm. Well, it's an ancient tradition that really links you on so many levels with the, the feminine, the true feminine essence. So to begin with, we look at yoga, the tradition of yoga. Now, the way I had been taught in the West was the male tradition, where you imagine your, the energy coming from the sky down through your energy. Well, the feminine way, which I learned from her, and that's why I first was introduced to the whole sense of the luminous body and the chakras and the energy fields, was that it came for the feminine, came from the very core of the earth, the feminine heart of the earth. So the energy would come up uh, through your base chakra and then all the way up through your chakras and then spread out in a toroidal donut-like form uh, and then keep going in that that donut-like energy coming through the body, which really linked the feminine back to the, the heart of the earth. And it also connected with the, the feminine mysteries, which I've been exploring in cultures throughout the world ever since that time, where it was the, the female's role in these ancient traditions to initiate the men into the mysteries, into the sacred mysteries of their uh, light bodies, of their chakra systems, of all the healing, the mysteries of healing, the mysteries of birth and death and, and dreams, and the interrelationship between the waking state and the dream state. And also the many, many luxurious, beautiful aspects of the feminine as differentiated from the masculine. Although in this form, which is really uh, the feeling that the essence that we are all male and female, in this form the 
dancer, storyteller, singer, also plays every role in the Hindu myth so that you would go from being the goddess Dorga, the goddess of power and beauty, uh, in the same story that she would be fighting against the, the Asura, the evil Mahisha, who was trying to conquer the world and destroy everything. So then you'd embody that, too. So it, it was a form of embodiment of all aspects of male, female, animal. It was amazing. Hmm. Would you yeah. say that the female essence is, is the sensual, whereas the male is the cerebral? I can't say that so much. I, I, I think that we all have, as I said, we both have male and female aspects to us. Uh, I think that the, the female is, yes, in a certain sense, much more, or used to be, connected with the earth itself, where the male was much more uh, connected, you're right, with the mind with the uh, linear, where the, the female is more cyclic, the male is more linear. You know, the, the hunter-gatherers, it was the men that went out to do the hunting, and the women were dealing with the plants and the earth and all of that. Would you say that the 60s was about getting in touch with the divine feminine, whereas this time that we're living through now, is about integrating the feminine with the masculine. Hmm. 60s. The 60s was a very interesting time. I was in college and grad school during that time. And on many levels it was about, well, there was, on the because we live in duality, so uh, there is a positive and there is what you could call a negative to each, each experience, so that... In the 60s, because I was there with the whole feminist movement, wanting my freedom, wanting to be, you know, like, be able to have the freedom of a man and all, you know, sex like a man and all this stuff. But um, there was very positive in that we were able to, like, come out and explore. Uh, but on the other side, there's also been this negative that I've looked at recently. I've been asked to teach these women in uh, Russia. And they started telling me about what it's like there with the feminine. They want to know feminine histories particularly. And they said that the way things are there are very much like it was for us in the early 60s for women. And so I, I really made me look at, well, what is it that I really want to offer to them? And when I looked back at this awakening in the, in the feminist movement, what I saw was, the, on the dark side, there seemed to be a divorce from the sacred in this whole thing about the free sexuality. It was almost like the sacred mysteries of sexuality, which were held by the women, the understanding of the light body and what was actually going on on a psychic, energetic level, uh, were being lost to just this, you know, desire to... Um, Really, to me, it removed this, what was truly sacred, uh, you know, have sex with multiple partners and all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, we were conditioned to think that was really cool, but as I went deeper and deeper into the true mysteries, I found that what was going on in every sexual encounter is so deep and so rich and so you're exchanging energy on so many levels that 
that it's a truly sacred act, which is very different from just this whole kind of thing like, oh, we'll go have sex, or the visceral thrill of it. That is so profound. Um, you embarked on the study of many different ancient traditions, uh, Egypt, Tibet, shamanism, Kabbalah, Gnosticism. Did you find some common threads among them? <laughs> Thank you for asking that because that really has been the work I've done my whole life. It's, I feel like that's what I'm here to do. Uh, since in the dance, coming from the dance world in which, especially in India, where every gesture, every movement is symbolic, then I started looking at the myths and symbols in all these different, at any time I entered into another tradition, looking at the myths and symbols of, of that culture, and I found an amazing connection through the art and through the dance and through the music between each of these. And it's been my work throughout my life to show people how much we have in common, and these are the arts that have been my path for doing that. And in fact, when I met my husband, Jay Widener, he had been, I had been steeped in really the Indo-Tibetan and a bit of the Egyptian tradition. And he had come from alchemy, the Western tradition. And what really excited us when we first met was looking at the symbols and the myths and seeing how much they had in common. It's really what uh, was the kind of ignition <laughs> for our relationship. That was 19 years ago and many films. <laughs> you started a multicultural arts and education program in New York. What was the goal in your heart? Oh. <laughs> I love working with children. And the goal of those, pro those programs were to teach the children exactly what we've been talking about, the beauty of each culture. We had experiences with the kids that were amazing through the arts. So we would go into a school, for example, we went into, I had a partner, a uh, dance music partner at that time who was Lebanese, uh, Ramzi Edlibi, and we really celebrated that because I come from a Jewish background and had lived in Israel, and he come from Lebanon, Muslim background. And we were really into bringing the richness of, we would go to a school and we would introduce through dance music a lot of audience participation, um, 12 different cultures, their myths, their symbols. and. Then we would go into a school at, for like a whole semester once a week, and we would teach each grade would have a different culture that they would go into. So in this, in this school, uh, there was one group in the third grade, and we decided to do Africa with them, and we had them make their own little drums, and the parents came in, and they would help them tie-dye their costumes. It was very <laughs> inclusive artistically. And there was one little boy, little, uh, little boy, who his mother had been a crack addict. And he was really shunned by a lot of the kids. But this boy took to drumming like a fish to water. 
it was he was amazing into where when we did the performance and it was the whole the superintendent of school came and all that uh, he played the traditional role of Phil Rumsey was sitting there drumming and then he sat next to him like the, the teacher and the student and this boy was amazing and it shifted the whole understanding of this kid for the school it shifted that's what I was there to do to bring them a sense of their true gifts, to see their gifts, to show them their gifts. And I think that's been a big part of my work in any film, in the films with the actors, in any film I've been in, is to recognize each of us has a very many special gifts, and they are not necessarily acknowledged in the world that we live in. And it was my, it's my work in this world as well to reflect to them and encourage each person's special gift. What a lovely story. You mentioned your husband, Jay. Um, tell me, uh, was it he who brought you into the world of filmmaking? I had been, I was living in Boston and New York through the, well, back and forth with India and all that. I started with with um, video in about 1978, and I did a lot of programs that incorporated video uh, into my theatrical programs. So even then, I was doing programs where uh, it was a story like who went through different incarnations, so I started off in ancient India, and then into Mughal India, then into the transcendental period, then into the modern age. And the way that I showed those transitions were through video. So I had big screens on the on the stage, and so I always worked with video because I come out of that age in the early 70s where we were really, you know, transcending boundaries in the arts and integrating uh, theater and dance and music and and video. And then I was. Uh, um, I worked at a place called National Video Industries in New York, in Manhattan, uh, where they had their first, the first green screen room in the United States. And I was the first <laughs> person to use it. And then we came in and did this uh, dance piece um, that was based on Buddhist philosophy. And I worked with every editor in the place to find their most exciting special effects and integrate them. So I'm dancing on the Taj Mahal and all kinds of wild things are going on. So I had already been working, and even in India when I was there on my Fulbright, which came after the first fellowship, uh, I was working with uh, a, a university in which we were working in video and directing programs for them. So I've been there on that direction, but Jay, my husband, has been a writer in Hollywood. He has made a film when he was in a feature film when he was in his 20s. And so when we got together, there were so many areas of commonality, and we decided to create, that was our dream, to create Sacred Mysteries, our company, and dedicate it to the, to the bringing forth this knowledge of all these ancient traditions. Tell us a little bit more about Sacred Mysteries. What were some of the projects that you've uh, done? Well, it's interesting. We started really with a light body. 
the yoga of light, the one it was uh, my teachings to <laughs> to reorient women to this new understanding of connecting to the earth and the chakra system, and also to shift their emotions uh, from into the enlightened emotivity of the divine feminine, which I have learned in India. And then we worked with uh, Alex Gray, Art Mind, we created that, and Alberto Riozo, Healing the Luminous Body. So we began that one, Jay, with alchemy, Secrets of Alchemy. We began that way. Mm-hmm. Well, then, we will explore this in a bit more depth, but we do have to take a break. And I am speaking with Sharon Rose, the producer of the new visionary film, The Last Avatar. We'll be right back. Miriam Knight is the founder and publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital magazine and website at ncreview.com. For 15 years, Miriam's Beat has been covering the thinkers, books, and films inspiring conscious evolution towards greater health, happiness, empowerment, compassion, and connection. Browse the thousands of enlightening books, interviews, and videos on ncreview.com. You can connect with Miriam on Facebook or through the website. That's ncreview.com. Back, I'm Miriam Knight speaking with Sharon Rose about the last avatar. Sharon, um, your the films that you describe as uh, you know the series that you created for Sacred Mysteries, your company, kind of culminated in this film that you're doing that you've just uh, brought out now. Tell me what was the impetus for creating the last avatar? So. We had been, I, I should mention that we did a film in 2006 called 2012 The Odyssey. And it was really, it was shown in about 350 community churches and alternative venues. And it really got the whole 2012 message going. And it also got us deep into that whole, the whole spiritual, we might call it New Age community. And, and then we kept making films. We made a wonderful documentary called Infinity that uh, is about death and the afterlife. And then we decided it was part of our plan all along to make a feature film. Uh, but we saw that after 2008, it seemed that uh, kind of the New Age was, in a certain sense, I can't say dying, but there weren't as many people coming to the events and the conferences and all these things that had been going on. Maybe that had to do with the Internet. But And we thought, well, how can we attract the younger generation to these teachings? And we said, oh, we should do a feature film and have the stars be, uh, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s. And this would definitely attract them. But also we decided at that point that we would embed a lot of the teachings that we had explored 
through all the years of sacred mysteries, but in a narrative form. Uh, but particular, particularly, we wanted to give these, the teachings that we are so much more than what we have been led to believe by the mainstream media. And also about the light body, uh, this, the, the body that, uh, like a great matrix of light, it surrounds and informs the physical body. So it's composed not only of the physical body. To me, lately, when I've been contemplating it, it has something to do with its layers of density. So the most, the, the physical body is part of the light body. That's the most dense part. And then there's the etheric body and the emotional body and the mental body and so on. And each, they're all interconnected and have a deep effect on the physical body. So your thoughts, of course, would affect your emotions, and then the emotions feed into the body, and <clears throat> experiences actually mold your body. So trauma would do specific things. I, I personally went into studying healing. I was so interested in the relationship between the different <clears throat> the bodies, and particularly craniosacral therapy that really talks about how if you're in a, an accident, Depending on your state of mind, you will either heal very quickly or it could get stuck in your body. And this exploration of the light body, which has more to do with, with so many layers of, of yourself, I'm really looking at releasing what I might call habitual patterns and um, uh, psychological patterns, imprinting, so that we can discover our true essence. And I feel that, that the movie really brings forth this message in a way that is accessible to a larger audience than our more esoteric uh, films. Well, I think your movie brings together just about uh, all of the sort of themes and memes of what we would call the New Age uh, and New Thought. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. You were talking about the um, the importance of of mindset in recovering from trauma. I know that uh, people who um, get positive reinforcement from the EMTs when they're uh, taken in an ambulance from uh, the scene of an accident do much better than people who are not. So it's it really. Um, and, of course, my husband is a hypnotherapist, so that's his bread and butter. But anyway, getting back to, to the movie, um, one of the things that you talk about is the, the notion of an avatar. And I guess that in times of darkness, we all like to believe that a savior is coming. Tell, tell me about the role of Kalki and the avatar in the movie. So... With the avatar, we need to begin with where the even the word comes from, which is from India, from the uh, god Vishnu, who is the preserver. Vishnu, he comes with his consort Lakshmi, who's goddess of wealth and fertility and abundance, and he is so so there's Shiva, Vishnu, and Brahma, and so Vishnu is the preserver. He's there to assist humanity. 
And whenever there's really difficult time on the earth, he takes an avatar. It means he becomes embodied. And the final avatar of this whole cycle of this age is named Kalki. So the last avatar was Buddha, and the one before him was Krishna. And so Kalki comes to destroy illusion and bring on the birth of the golden age. Uh, he also, in his mantra, uh, it says that he's there to bring the essence. As soon as he cuts through illusion, he brings the essence of Shakti, of Anand Shakti, the bliss of the feminine, back onto the earth. But in the movie, he is a metaphor. He's not a savior. In fact, he, that's even said in there, that he's not there to be a savior. He's a metaphor because he starts out as this kind of down-and-out uh, screenwriter in Hollywood who gets kicked out of his apartment and decides to hike the Pacific Crest Trail up to towards Mount Shasta where there's a, <laughs> a group of psychics waiting uh, to find him. They've been, in, uh, they've been trained since childhood in the dream school. So in their dreams, they're brought to Mount Shasta and go underneath into uh, the Lemurian land of Telos, where they're trained, and the, so they're waiting for him. But he's just an average guy, and and he's there in the movie as a metaphor for each and every one of us, because we all have that potential to wake up and recognize our own essential light. I interviewed Neil Donald Walsh, who is in your film. Um, a few uh, weeks ago about his book about the the God within. So, yes, we will definitely talk more about your own essential uh -oh. light. But we I love have you. to take another break. <laughs> yes, I do too. Um, but we will be right back speaking with Sharon Rose. And we're back speaking with Sharon Rose about her film, The Last Avatar. So, Sharon, we were talking about uh, the, the notion of the light body. Um, how does the light body... Uh, you have the most wonderful, um, I guess, computer-generated effects. I mean, you show these amazing emanations and so on. Do you actually see energies yourself? Sometimes. Mostly I feel them. Mm -hmm. I'm very... It was funny, when I went to study craniosacral, I'd come out of dance, and most of the other people were all healer, you know, uh, chiropractors and massage therapists. And, uh, at times, you know, I would talk to the teacher, and they'd say, don't worry, you actually have a lot of knowledge from your uh, sensitivity from movement and understanding that and I'm, I have been trained from very early on in theater to observe uh, how the, the body and how it's shaped and the expressions because we were learning you know in order to do that as an actor and then I went into I did my master's degree in uh, 
bioenergetics and the work of Wilhelm Reich and Alexander Lowen. So that's a whole other level of observing the body and the personality. And then the Indian training in all the different expressions is there's a, in my book, Path of the Priestess, I'm giving like 40 different expressions uh, of emotion in their transform, how to transform them um, into their enlightened qualities. So sometimes I see energy fields more and more as I lately I've been able to spend more time in retreat. Those those uh, abilities are jumping up for me. <laughs> uh, but we put that into the movie. In fact, Neil playing uh, Count Saint Germain. <laughs> who is really kind of the Obi-Wan Kenobi character that, in, in a certain sense, begins the initiation of the young man, Jack O'Brien, who becomes Kalki by showing him the light body mm-hmm. and what that looks like and describing what it is to him. There are many metaphors in the film, and, and light is kind of a central theme and you it's almost like the forces of light versus the forces of darkness that are exemplified really by what you call the archons what uh, is the provenance of that concept the archons come out of the ancient gnostic tradition which was in early christianity and they felt it was very dualistic where they felt that there was a they called like a psychic parasite that had invaded six thousand years ago, had invaded the earth, particularly into our light fields and even through generations. So the way I look at that is you'll see where a familial trait like anger uh might pass from the the you know, father to the son and on and on through generations. I think that that's an archonic embed into the energy field. And that the archons, uh, they feed on our, our pain. They feed on our suffering. They actually get off, we use those words, on, um, you know, torture and war and anger and they, embed themselves and try to uh, bring that about as much as possible. And a lot of the work we've been doing lately, I have in my inner uh, meditative work and healing work, is to really differentiate between the authentic self and the conditioned you know, self that I use the archons as a metaphor. You know, the uh, the concept comes from the Nag Hammadi, which was an ancient text, a series of ancient texts uh, found that were uh, written by the Gnostics and had a very, also a very different perspective on Christianity. They, they, the Gnostics traveled uh, male and female. There was the way that their their teachings and uh, they would like draw, they would gather in community and draw little like straws to see who would be the person who would receive the knowledge and be like the minister. So it was it was very connected with healing and bringing about um, understanding of our true spiritual divine nature as opposed to this archonic 
uh, world that was causing the war and the pain and the suffering, etc. And the fear, in particular, the archons. For them, fear is a business model. Mm. Well, I think we can just look at current culture and society and see the the traces of that kind of thinking and that kind of influence. Uh, and, in fact, our biggest challenge is to overcome that and reconnect with, I suppose, uh, the light. Yeah. So, yeah. At the, same time, at the same time, those, we have to recognize that there were in duality and the dark exists. So in the movie itself, there is a, a time when there could be a big, in Hollywood, it would have been a big, you know, gun torture, whatever, <laughs> confrontation between, you know, Lord Archon, the bad guy, and uh, Kalki. And instead... Oh, don't give it you know, away. Yes. <laughs> instead, it's very different. It's very different. And, and so we wanted to bring in a really different take on who we are, what we're capable of, and what we do when we're confronted with these archonic forces. Yeah. Yeah. What is your hope for this movie? Oh, for, to, for it to generate uh, contemplation and really dialogue about who we are, what we're capable of, and how to work within this world that, of, of darkness that seems to be darker and darker every day and more and more pain and more and more confusion and chaos. And after, all, after the 2012 film where I interviewed so many um, shamans, etc., and talking about this period of time, we wanted to give a little, you know, like a jewel <laughs> that could really... Uh, generate discussion on how to deal with these issues that are serious and facing us every moment right now. Absolutely. It's not enough just to wring your hands. Um, no. Sharon, one of the themes in the book is um, the dream state and how the uh, Lemurians, and that's a tale for another time, um, instruct or prepare the mind of the, the protagonists. Um, this is something that you have a lot of experience with yourself, isn't it? Yes. Uh, in 30 years ago this year, I became the student of Tibetan master Namkai Norbu, uh, who brought this teaching uh, called the essence, the essential teaching, the primordial tradition of Tibet, Zhenchen. And a big part of that is uh, dream yoga. And so I'm very aware of the Tibetan teachings. And actually, lucid dreaming was something, the work of Robert Monroe uh, many years ago really excited me. I've been looking into uh, dreaming and the dream time and cultures throughout the world. And in the Tibetan tradition, uh, consciousness weaves through our day and our night, so our dream time. And if you think of like a mala rosary with 108 beads, uh, the way to look at it, the string is our consciousness. And the little beads could be each lifetime, uh, could be each experience in our life. 
So the dream time, also in Tibetan tradition, is thought of as the time for really awakening, as well as the daytime as a time for awakening, so that you do these practices so that you can wake up in your dream. And if you can wake up in your dream where you don't even have the body and start to direct your dream, it trains you for your actual physical waking life where you can start to do the same thing. So uh, also I studied the work. We I have another mentor named Robert Waller who wrote uh, um, Sacred Geometry. And also he um, voices of the first day. He lived with the Aborigines. And the Aborigines, that was really wild to walk into that tradition. So they say that everything in our world begins in the dream time. Every mm-hmm. thought, every action emerges from this larger metaphysical landscape that surrounds and pervades our material world. And they call this larger reality the dream time. So each living thing, according to their tradition, begins in the dream time. And once it becomes fully developed in the dream time, then it concretizes and becomes part of our 3D reality. So we wanted to embed this teaching as well, because the people are, people really like this whole concept of dream yoga and lucid dreaming. It's something you know that we can. Lots of people get excited about their dreams and want to know about you know, what does this mean and the symbol of this and that. And so. Um, we embedded this teaching as well into the movie. The movie actually is chock full of many, many goodies. Um, tell me, how are you distributing the film? Well, I can tell you more about that uh, next, <laughs> next week <laughs> um, because I'm in the middle of a discussion. But we, it's being is it going into enough? general release? Oh, it's going to go, I'm pretty sure now, because we've had uh, a number of, I would say, more traditional Hollywood companies want to take it. But uh, as a filmmaker who really would like to recoup the money that we spent, because we had no backers except ourselves and our supporters who bought our films, <laughs> um, we're, we're looking, we've always been outside the box. So... I think that right now it's being screened in a number of cities and unity churches and different spiritual centers. You can find that on our website, um, thelastavatarmovie.com, and that's chock full of goodies in terms of uh, the different themes, et cetera, and the cast members. Um, but most probably we're going to have a very big uh, release on the Internet which seems to be the way to go these days with independent films, and also with an affiliate program. It was really, in fact, I had a dream in which I was with Alberto Violdo, the the shaman healer who I work with on four films now. And in the dream, I was telling him about this movie and that it reveals the light body, and Alberto is one of the main teachers in the world of the light body from the Caro shaman tradition. And I'm saying, Alberto, I have this idea. We can release the film on the Internet. And then we could do affiliates, and then you could make money, everybody could make money, because <laughs> that's how I am. I want, I want everyone to, to be able to uh, benefit. I'm, we live in a material world, so on the material as well as the metaphysical. <laughs> and so then we've been looking, we have a couple of different ways that we're, different companies we're talking to right now about releasing it in a big way on the Internet. 
and then, of course, it will eventually get to Guy on TV, because my husband Jay is, uh, well, he was a director of uh, original programming. Now he's directing one of their channels on the network. So, right. and they have the rest of our films. So, so if anybody wants to uh, find out how to do a showing or uh, become an affiliate, they should go to thelastavatarmovie.com. Yes. Also, we have a Facebook page, uh, the la uh, Facebook dot com slash the last avatar movie uh -huh. and that gives you uh, where that where it's screening and now I'm starting also to do a work a workshop called inner illumination the light body experience uh, when we have some of the places when we have the screening how uh, we have the screening and then people always want to have a lot of discussion and want to learn more and so I'm putting together this workshop uh, to assist them with that. Also, the star, Amy, uh, is an incredible singer. She also wrote the soundtrack, and so we're having her perform as well. So we have a few that are just screenings and a few that are much more. You also have these amazing feather earring things. Oh, yes. Thank you. Shasta Style. <laughs> Go to style.com. So with that, what happened was when I was, since I was producing, I was in charge of costume design, set design, everything. So I was at a friend's house. We were putting together the ideas for the costumes, and this woman, this was in Ashland, Oregon, and this young woman comes in with these beautiful feather earrings, and I said, I need those. <laughs> so we wear them in the movie, and then I kept wearing them. And everywhere I went, even soccer moms in Boulder, Colorado, <laughs> said, I want these earrings. Where can I get them? So I thought, oh, I'll... I'll see if I can design them. So I went crazy. I started going crazy designing them. <laughs> and I noticed that when women put them on and even guys wear them, it's just like they would light up. They would just, their field would just light up. So um, I started, I got these young women in Crestone, Colorado, which is the Shabala of the Rockies, uh, these women that really needed work because they're living in a small town. And I have them make them. And then, uh, you know, we just really started this company, Shasta Style, which will also then include clothing, really inspired in, in a sense by the whole West Coast <laughs> tribal uh, look. <laughs> well, it, and, and a beautiful look it is. So that's ShastaStyle.com. Well, I'm going to have to thank you for being with us today, Sharon Rose, uh, producer of The Last Avatar. Sharon, thank you so much. Oh, it has been a true pleasure to be with you today. And I invite you to join us next week when my guests will be Joel and Michelle Levy talking about meditation and mind fitness. Well, that's our show for today. I hope you'll visit our website, ncreview.com. And thank you for listening. So until next week, I'm Miriam Knight. Be good to yourself, do good in the world, and let your light shine. Yeah.